Well, turn your Bibles this morning to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 13. We have been doing a series the last few weeks called Encounter. And the premise of this series is that you literally can have an, an encounter with God in worship. Now, worship, I want you to see certainly what we've been doing the last 35 minutes or so through, through, through the singing, through lifting hands, clapping, all these things were worship. When you gave your an offering, it was worship. But how many know you don't just do worship on a Sunday morning? How many know we worship, come on, all the day? When you get up in the morning, I try to wake up in the morning and I try to discipline myself. So sometimes early on, I say, thank you, God, that I'm alive today. Lord, I want to give you my life. Well, I want to tell you that is an act of worship. It is an act of acknowledgement of God. Certainly, if you get a raise or a bonus or you close a sale or something goes good for you and you get in your car after work, hopefully one of the first things you do is say, thank you, Lord, for doing that for me today. Thank you for the deal. Come on, thank you for my check. Thank you for taking care of me. You know, if you're a quarterback and you threw a touchdown pass, what do you think it means when they do that? Thank you, God. To God be the glory. All of these expressions are worship. And I've been talking in this series about worship. Several weeks ago, we talked about worship as, as an expression of our love to God. We talked about God's love languages. When you clap your hands, lift your hands, dance, shout, sing, all these are expressions or love languages. Last week, we talked about expressing our worship or our praise to God before the answer comes. That is, when you have something in your life that you, you're asking God to do, you're praying for, you're believing for, that you thank Him in advance. It's a message worth listening to. But this morning, I want to go in a little different direction. We want to talk from Hebrews about something called the sacrifice of praise. And now we're going to look this morning about worship in times of difficulty. Worship in times of distress, worship in times of problems and stress, worship can be the very thing that helps you stay connected to God and helps you get through to the other side. And how many know that's a good thing? Look at this passage in Hebrews, Hebrews 13, verse 15. It says, through Him, or through Christ, through Jesus, let us continually, and that's a key word, because praise is not just an intermittent thing that I do periodically, but it should define my life. Let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips that acknowledge His name. Now, when you read the Bible, how many know you read in context? You don't just pull a verse out and say, this is what I think it means. If you looked at the, really the book of Hebrews is a book that is written to Jewish thinking people in, in Christ's era that's showing how Christ is the fulfillment of the Old Testament of the law. He's the, he, is the, he is the completion of the Old Covenant. You'll see terms in the Old Testament about sacrifice happens a lot. And you would literally in the Old Testament sacrifice an animal. The high priest once a year would sacrifice an animal and its blood would pay the penalty of the sins of the people. It would cover it. The Bible says that life is in the blood and without the shedding of blood there's yeah, no forgiveness of sins. That's what the cross is all about. Christianity is not just a philosophy. Christianity is about the act of Christ when He gave His life as a substitute, as a sacrifice for the sins of humanity so that we might be made right with God. And the Old Testament in the book of Hebrews is replete with the role of, of the high priest and the altar of sacrifice. And we're to continually praise God. Now, we don't have to offer an animal sacrifice. Our sacrifice is, as we read, the sacrifice of praise. When you literally, as you think in terms of salvation, you look back at what Christ did, and He is our sacrifice. How many know He paid the price? And for that, we say, thank you. This word, sacrifice of praise, is a Levitical term, uh, and it simply means a thank offering to God. 
In the Old Testament, there were broadly two types of offerings. One offering that covered sin, it atoned for sin, and one that expressed thanksgiving to God. Well, that's kind of the book of Hebrews, and what we're praising God for, specifically, we look back for our salvation, but this sacrifice of praise is not just for what Jesus did, it's what He's doing today, listen, and what He's going to do tomorrow. How many know Christ is not just a historical figure? He is alive. He is real. He's coming back again. See, Jesus was and is and ever shall be. So when you offer this sacrifice, it recognizes what Christ did, what He's doing, and what He will do. Now, this sacrifice of praise, it's always easy for me to thank God for the cross. How many agree with me there? When I mess up, when I sin, when I confess, when I worship, it's easy to be thankful for the cross. It's easy to be thankful when God does something, when something goes well. If you were praying for rain and got a good rain, how many got a good rain the other day? Yeah, so you were praying for that rain, and it came, and lo and behold, you were, it's easy to thank God for that. But it's hard to thank God when you're facing a problem that doesn't go away. It's hard to continually thank God when you're dealing with something, not just a day, a week, or a month, but a year or five years or what seems like a lifetime. And it is then that praise truly is a sacrifice. But it is in this context that we offer our worship to God. Now this morning I'm going to look briefly at three heroes in the Bible, three big, big Bible characters. We're going to look at Job who shows us as, uh, the, about the why question. When you're in the middle of trouble, why, God, did you allow this to happen? We'll talk about that. Job's troubles, the book of Job uh, covers a span of only three or four years. So Job faced this period of time, several years in his life. We'll look at David in the Old Testament that had the lo faced a loss of a child. He had a week's experience with God, asking God to change something, but it didn't happen, but he worshiped God anyway, a sacrifice of praise. And in the New Testament, we'll look at Paul and kind of address the thought that we have that why bad things happen to good people when they're not supposed to. So we're going to express this, go into this this morning as we talk about the sacrifice of praise, but I want to make sure I, I recognize Fred and Mary Harris. They have a, a wedding anniversary. Stand up real quick. How, how many years? 62 years being married to each other. Give them a big hand. What a godly example. Pastor Fred's an elder here in our church. Let's go to the book of Job. Job chapter 1 about this why question. Why God? Job chapter 1, now, Job loses everything in this passage, yet he still worships. Very key. Job chapter 1, the book starts this way, verse 14, A messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and donkeys were grazing, and the Sabians attacked and carried them off. may not mean much to you, but it's like a businessman saying, You get a phone call or a text and saying, Your, your factory's burned down and all your employees quit. Didn't stop there. Verse 16, the fire of God fell from the sky and burned up the sheep. Maybe lightning, not sure. But anyway, all your animals are gone. The camels are gone. The next verse, verse 18, it gets worse. How many know you can recover from a business failure? But when something affects your family and they're gone, they're gone. Verse 18, your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine in the oldest brother's house when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert. The house collapsed on them and they are dead. At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. And that was a practice, not a biblical practice, but that was a practice in the Near East where literally it was a sign of remorse, it was a sign of sorrow, uh, it was cultural, like when you wear a black dress or a black suit to a funeral, 
Uh, that's, that's just typically culturally how we express our grief and our, and, and our sadness, even in the way we dress and the, what we do. Well, that's what he did. But beyond the culture, notice what he did. It said he fell to the ground. Say it with me. He fell to the ground. Other translators say Joe bowed himself to the ground in prayer to God. Or he knelt down to the ground to honor God. Your kids are dead. All your, your source of income is gone, but you're still honoring God. Now listen, this prayer, praise, is not to thank God, but it's simply saying this, you're still God, you're still good, I still believe in you. He fell to the ground in worship when all this happened. Verse 21, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. He didn't understand that Satan was behind this great attack. Notice what he says, may the name of the Lord... Wow. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Now listen, it would have been very easy for Job to shake his fist and say, God, why did this happen to me? It would have been very easy to have recorded in the Scripture a season of his life where he was angry at God and, and mad at God and depressed and, and didn't want to pray and didn't want to serve God, didn't want to have anything to do with God. Listen, I get upset... If I have a flat tire and wonder where is God, I mean, come on. I mean, I go to the grocery store and my favorite whatever is not there or they're out. Come on, or they don't have my size on the sale rack and I think God has just failed me. It's almost like our faith is like that, like a roller coaster. And we're praising it when it's good and we want it to be good all the time because God is good. Really? Do you really, really feel that? I, I'm reluctant to say God's good all the time because sometimes... God, listen, God is still good, even if what's going on around me is not good. God is good. And worship moves you from the circumstances, come on, into the next thing God's going to do in your life. This is huge. It is not wrong to ask God why. Listen to what King David did, the psalmist, a man after God's own heart. Psalm 21, verse 1, my God, my God. Come on, everybody. Why? Why? Why are you so far away when I groan for help? Psalm 42, my God, my rock. Why have you forgotten me? Now, it, it, did God really forget David? But it felt like it. And here's where feeling like it Christianity has to give way to faith. Christianity. I feel forsaken. I can ask why. Why do I have to wander around in grief oppressed by my enemies? Psalm 44. Why do you hide your face and forget my misery uh, and the things that's going on around me? Why in the world, God, are you allowing this to happen? Hey, have you ever had that little conversation with God? Have you ever really punished God by just not going to church for a while? I mean, really, if you want to get even with God, just don't read your Bible for a few days. I mean, that will do the trick right there. <laughs> Why is it? It's okay to ask why, but, but here's the message of Job. What do you do after you ask why? I, I would say worship anyway. It's the message from Job because the why question can really get you in trouble. The why question, if it just rolls around in your mind long enough, because we know God is a good God. We know the scriptures about God's protection, God's provision, God's care, God answering prayer. Heavens, when Jesus talked to the disciples, it's almost like before the words get out of your mouth, the prayer gets answered. But yet they're also, in the midst of this relationship with God, sometimes these things happen and it makes us really wonder why.
what do you think goes through the mind of the grandparents of the woman that was murdered in Redwater and her two children? Right? What do you tell someone? Why did this happen? People have asked me this question all the time. Now, the best thing I can tell you is, listen, if we look at the Bible, in Genesis, before sin came into the world, before evil had its foothold, th th these problems were not here. This pain was not here. In the book of Revelation, after Satan has been judged, and after there's a new heaven and new earth, th these problems are not here anymore. But in the in-between time, sin is working on the earth. Satan is working on the earth. And even the cross didn't deliver me from even my own physical death. When I look in the mirror, I don't care what I do to try to make hair grow and try to make myself be, you know, uh, young again. You're all getting older, in case you didn't know it, friend. Even you. I'm telling you, ladies, that lotion will not make you look like a 16-year-old when you're 70. It just, it won't. Listen, I love you, and I don't want to bust your bubble. But I'm telling you, you know, do everything you can to help. But we are getting older, and it's, it's because sin is in the world. I mean, it's all around us. And it's just a part of us, but sometimes it slaps us in the face and we say, my God, my God, why? Well, that's what Job... See, we, we, we have the answer. We look at the Bible, we see beginning to end. We know that Job was a righteous, blameless guy. He didn't bring this on himself. We know that Satan came and got permission from God. See, God had put a blessing on Job's life. Because you understand, the book of Job is only a short period of time, three or four years, scholars believe. Job lived decades before it and decades after it. And God blessed his socks off both before and afterwards. But in that period of time, Satan was having a heyday with Job. But Job stood strong. And what the devil was trying to basically say is that if you just take the stuff away from his life, if you stop being so good to him, he'll curse you. And you've got to understand that this was true of Job's wife. Job wasn't the only one that lost children. His wife lost the children she bore. His wife no longer had a credit card, you know, unlimited because all the business was destroyed. His wife couldn't just go to Outback whenever she wanted to and order the appetizer and everything else and leave as big a tip as she wanted to. The money was gone. And her response to the problem was curse God and die. And Job's response was, oh foolish woman, shall we accept the good and not the bad? Blessed be the name of the Lord. So the message from Job this morning, because you've got to know, in the latter part of the book of Job, the Bible says God blessed him with twice as much as he had before. That these times of, of tragedy and crisis are not permanent. Crisis is not permanent. And on the other side of the crisis, come on, the blessing comes. Worship helps you stay engaged with God until circumstances change. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. God is still God. He is still good. In the midst of bad circumstances. Look in 2 Samuel chapter 12. Let's look at another aspect of this with David, the word disappointment. And I'll tell you what you already know. Disappointment can be devastating. Now in 2 Samuel 12, David, a man after God's own heart. He was a godly man. He was someone that loved God, was applauded in Scripture for his walk with God. Yet this is David's boo-boo. David had sinned with Bathsheba. Uh, it's adultery. She's pregnant. Uh, he, he, he tries to scheme around it. He even kills his friend Uriah, Bathsheba's husband. And he brings her in his house. She's going to have a baby. And now we've fixed everything and it's all going to be okay. But God says, listen, I've seen this and I'm troubled with it. And there's a judgment. Look at verse 15. The Lord caused the son of David and Bathsheba to be very sick. Now, in Job's case, we know that Satan was behind it directly. In this case, the devil didn't do this to David. David opened this door of punishment and his, of judgment in his own life. It affected even an innocent child. 
It's just part of this tangled world of sin and consequences that we live in today. But I want you to see verse 16. What did David do? He prayed to God for the baby. Can you say he prayed? And it was not just a quick little lay me down to sleep, memorized prayer. It goes further. He fasted. He went into his house and he stayed there lying on the ground all night. Now, this went on for seven days. I want you to think about the most extreme, deliberate time you've ever prayed for something in life and multiply it by ten. Because that's what's going on. This man is doing everything he can because he knows when he looks at this sick baby, he knows that it's his fault. And he feels this sense of not only remorse but responsibility. Now, David repented. But listen, this child, well, the ever 17, the elders of David's family came to him. They tried to pull him up from the ground. He refused to get up or eat food with them. And on the seventh day, now that's a defining moment. When you have prayed to God with all you knew how to do, and the prayer is not answered. If there's a time for disappointment in God, listen, that's the day you don't want to go to church. That's the time. David's servants were afraid to tell him the baby was dead. And they said, Lord, look, we, we, we tried to talk to David while the baby was alive, but he refused to listen to us. If we tell him the baby is dead, he may do something awful, which is code for, that's right. They're scared that he's going to kill himself. Now, he's the king, but he knows he's responsible for the baby's death. He had to go to the funeral. Somebody had to say something. But look at verse 19. When he saw his servants whispering, he knew the baby was dead. And he asked them, is the child dead? And they said, yes, he is. Now, verse 20 is pretty amazing. David got up from the floor, washed himself, changed his clothes, and then what did he do? He didn't go sing a happy song. He didn't say, Pastor Nick, turn on the guitar. I'm happy. No, it was none of that. Worship was a way of saying, Lord, you're still God. Come on, you're still good. And there is hope for tomorrow. I worship you because you are worthy of my praise. Not for what you've done. In spite of my best prayer efforts to make it happen, I still choose to worship you. Now that is big, friends. It is big and it is revealing. See, sometimes God doesn't do what we ask Him to do. I wish I could tell you that if you just prayed hard enough and long enough, God would always do what you ask Him to do. I know the Scriptures. I could spend weeks talking to you about scriptural promises for answered prayer. And it's true. But I'm telling you, in the same soup where you've got, you know, tomatoes and beef and potatoes and carrots, you've also got onions. And if you don't like onions, they're still in there. My kids, I can remember when we used to go out to eat. I was at a Bible study one time and, and, and got Rebecca uh, vegetable soup. She pulled out every tomato every piece of onion and whatever, every piece of celery, and it's in a little pile on the napkin. And we as Christians sometimes want to be able to just take those things out of life that we don't like and with God's help just give us, come on, uh, 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 beans and meat and potatoes. But sometimes in life we've experienced these things, either through our fault or as Job, no fault of our own. It gets in the mix, and the temptation is to be disappointed. When Lazarus died... His two sisters handled it differently. Lazarus, of course, you know the story, a friend of Jesus. Now, you would think a friend of Jesus, come on, would automatically get what he wants every time. 
My dad believed this. A number of years ago, I went to visit him, and uh, it's kind of a funny story. We had lunch with his friends, and the way they would pay for lunch is they would, you know, flip a coin or whatever, and uh, whoever lost would buy lunch for everybody. And he thought since the preacher was with him, surely he would win that day. But he lost the bet, and he had to buy lunch for everybody. I'm not advocating, and I'm just telling you a funny story. Sometimes in life, the simple God equations don't work out the way we want them to. They begged Jesus to come and heal Lazarus, Martha and Mary. When Lazarus died, then Jesus came. See, what they did not know, Jesus knew that he would raise Lazarus from the grave, and through his death and resurrection, more people would come into the kingdom. All they knew is they had a problem they wanted Jesus to fix. And lo and behold, John eleven twenty, Martha heard Jesus was coming. She went to meet him, but Mary... I don't think we have to exercise much interpretation to know that this lady was disappointed. But aren't you glad she didn't stay disappointed? When she was told the master specifically calling for you, she went and she talked to him and she basically said, why did this happen? Now, let me tell you something before we move on that's really worth thinking about. Your response to disappointment reveals the basis of your relationship with God. Now, here's what I mean by this. Most of us, when we come to Christ, we come to Christ like I did. I've got problems in my life. Things are not going well. I need God to help me. I'm sick in my body. I've got financial problems. I've got pressures. And they tell me God can help my life be better. How many came to Christ like that? Come on, most of us in the room because of a felt need. See, something in our world was troubling upside down. And you know what? That's true, what I just told you. But also, if that's where your relationship with God stays... You've got a problem because then you serve God for what He's going to do for you, not for who He is. And when your reality doesn't line up with your expectations with God, disappointment sets in and you stay home. You don't read your Bible, blah, blah, blah. But you, your relationship is, is a little shallow. And I will suggest to you that our relationship with God is not based on what He's doing or what He will do in our workaday world tomorrow. I look back at the cross. If that's all He did, that's enough. Come on. That was the starting place. And whatever my tomorrows may look like, I know there's a great day coming one day down the road. Come on. One day, buddy, it's going to be party city in the kingdom of God. Now, I don't know how long it's going to take me to get there, but I can't base my relationship with God on what He's doing. But here's the really cool thing. Remember we saw in Job that God didn't leave him in the ditch? And God, listen, and God is not just trying to see how much you can take. I can't explain this to you. But they had no idea that Lazarus was going to be raised from the dead and people were going to come into the kingdom. Job had no idea that Satan had a, a specific permission to teach the human race that you need to worship God anyway, no matter what happens around you. But look at David's life. This child dies, and at some point down the road, they have another baby, David and Bathsheba. And guess what this child's name is? Solomon, the wisest person in the Old Testament. Come on. Outside of Jesus, the wisest person who ever lived, and it was born to two adulterers. Come on. It was born to two people who'd made a big mistake, a man who had failed, a man who'd brought judgment on people around him. But God is a good God. And ultimately, his goodness triumphs over the evil and the pain of this world. And that, my friend, you can take to the bank. Because everybody you see in Scripture, when they face the crisis and the storm, one day the storm will be over. The most popular psalm in the entire Bible, Psalm 23, Yea, though I walk... 
You don't stop in the valley of the shadow of death. With Christ, your worship helps you keep moving. Tell your neighbor, I'm glad I came to church today. Acts 16, let's look at one more, Paul. Now, Job endured something for three or four years. David's issue around the child was a week. We don't know how long it was till the next child was born. Now let's look at one that happened in a day. And in all of this, I want you to see that praise and worship is the way that we keep going with God. Praise and worship is the way that we say, I still believe in spite of. It is a great vehicle or container of faith that says, I believe. Listen, when everything is going great, there's no faith in that. If your credit limit's high enough and you got money in the bank, listen, you got no, you got no problems if you're healthy, but you wait till life knocks you down. And then you praise God anyway. Boy, that's a statement. Acts 16, verse 16. Uh, yeah, 16, 16. This it, it, it addresses the idea that bad things aren't supposed to happen to good people. Now, that's not a Bible. I believe that's a Bible verse. It's not. But we all have that expectation. I could preach a series, and I guarantee you we could fill this place to capacity if I, from now till Christmas, about every good thing that God's promised to do. And the picture is almost that this shelter of the Most High God, this secret place, uh, is like a vaccine almost that keeps everything evil out of my life. But my friends, it does not bear, it preaches great, but it does not bear witness on the pages of Scripture because every person that walked with God in the Bible faced difficulties and challenges because we all are in a stew pot with onions in it. You, it, it they're just there. They are a part of life. And you're going to bump the head of evil until the day you go to be with Jesus. Acts 16, verse 16, Paul and Silas doing a great thing for God, and then they're persecuted. Verse 16, one day as we were going down to the place of prayer, now that's good to go to a prayer meeting. How many would agree with that? We met a demon-possessed slave girl. She was a fortune teller and earned a lot of money for her masters. Jump ahead to 18, Paul turned and said to the demon. Now, how many believe if demons were real today, then they're probably real today? They're not just some mystical or some mythological expression of uneducated people until they get really smart like we do, or like we are, or like we is, or like we... Demons are demons. They're there. They're real. And they're afflicting people. Well, this one happened to uh, earn a lot of money. It made her a, a fortune teller. She was like the psychic hotline. Paul, though, after this encounter, turned and said to the demon, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And instantly it left her. The next day, it was the front page of the Texarkana Gazette. That very afternoon, Facebook lit up with the deliverance story of this girl. I mean, you would think Paul and Silas are a brand name. They are on TBN, baby, and I'm telling you what. They're on Christian television. They're interviewed everywhere. They are celebrities. They even make Charisma's mobile news page on their phone. You've got the picture of Paul and Silas, the deliverers. That's not what happened. They'd done a good thing for God. Verse 19, her master's hopes of wealth was now shattered, so they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities. Verse 22, the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten. Now, what do you think they are thinking 
when their backs are being assaulted with a whip. All they've done is something good. They're leading people to Christ. They're delivering people. They're building churches and establishing the kingdom. Well, verse 2, they're stripped and beaten. Verse 24, the jailer puts them in the inner dungeon and clamp their feet in the stocks. Mind you, they did not have access to cable TV. They did not have access to the prisoner's lounge. They did not have a, a, a lawyer defending them. They were not in a special prison. They were in jail. But look at verse 25. Around midnight, what were they doing? Is that in your Bible? That is faith. That is worship in the middle of a trying circumstance. They're praying and singing to God. In verse 26, this is so cool. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake. I like stories like this. I live in a microwave world. I want to touch my microwave and have it automatically figure out how long it takes to reheat the lasagna. And I want it to be perfect. I just want to push a button and I want God to move suddenly. Sometimes he does, sometimes he doesn't. Listen, God is never late. But he's rarely early. He's always on time. Suddenly there was a massive earthquake. All the doors immediately flew open. The chains fell off. The chains fell off of every prisoner. The jailer, verse 29, ran to the dungeon, fell down trembling before Paul and Silas, and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Isn't this an incredible story? Worship, it would have been very easy for them to just get complaining, to get mad, to have questions, to say, why, God, did you let this happen? But they didn't do that. And their worship was a spark. It's like the briquettes were soaked with lighter fluid and just needed a match. And worship was that match for God to reveal His presence in the place of worship, and it turned the whole jail upside down. And the very thing they were trying to do is see people come into the kingdom of God happened. It didn't happen in the way they thought it would, but it happened because God is a good God. He's a redeeming God. He's a turnaround God. He is a breakthrough God. And here's what I want to tell you. Worship in a dark prison cell, my friends. Worship in a dark prison cell says, I still believe. And if you are Job laying on the ground, David laying on the ground, or Saul being chained to the wall, worship says, I still believe and I still trust you. And my friends, I want to tell you, there's a good God that's got something good right around the corner if we just don't give up and quit. You see it on the pages. You do not find one person in the Bible that is abandoned by God. Now, not every Daniel gets out of the lion's den. Sometimes Daniel is Stephen in the New Testament of their stone, but they look up to heaven. Come on. And they see the glory of God. And death is but a moment, and they're in the presence of God forever. I'm telling you, you serve a God that will never leave you, never forsake you, never abandon you, but is always with you even to the end of the age. And your worship is an acknowledgement of Him. It is a container of faith. Let me close with this scripture, and then we're going to pray. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. And let me say this again. If you don't remember anything else, remember this. Worship keeps faith alive in times of difficulty. I imagine some of you are in this building this morning and you are so desperate to have God help you. And this is speaking to you. Worship keeps faith alive. And faith is the currency of heaven. Hebrews 11, 6 says this. Without faith, no one can please God. Now listen. Anyone who comes to God must believe that He's real 
And number two, that he rewards those who truly want to find him. I be- and that's what worship in the prison cell says. I still believe. But it also says, I believe you're a rewarder of those that diligently seek you. There is an expectation built into worship. And it is the release of this thing called faith. I don't know about you, but I've got to get it out of my theology, out of my head when I'm in trouble, and I've got to say it. You can be looking at that checkbook. Hey, have you ever added something on your little like phone calculator or, or, or an electronic one, and you just can't believe the number? So you pull out the old faithful paper calculator, and then you type the same numbers in your checkbook in again, and it's still showing up in the red, and you say, this can't be. So then you clear the memory and you clear the this and you clear and start and you still get the same number. So you know what the reality is. You know you don't have enough money. You know you can't go through. Whatever the case may be, you don't have enough equity. But you put the pencil down and say, Lord, I still believe that you can take care of this problem. I believe that you will sustain me with contentment and I believe that you will provide for me when I cannot provide for myself. Listen, faith, the sacrifice of praise, says, Lord, I choose to believe. I believe that you're real, and I believe you will reward those who faithfully seek your face. Come on, give him a good hand today. It's real. It is the sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to him. And whether you're Job and more business is coming, David, another child's coming, or whether you're Paul, somebody else is getting saved around the corner, God is a faithful God. And my friend, I'll tell you, he will be faithful to you. Now, the way we close our services is with prayer because I cannot think of a better way to put what you've heard into practical application by taking a step towards God in prayer. Maybe you're here today and maybe you are right. How many are honest enough to say that, man, I've got some of this stuff going on in my life today? Today, come on, wave your hand up. Yeah, yeah, that's real. How many know when you're facing these things, sometimes it's easy to have faith and sometimes it's a huge sacrifice and it's difficult? When it lasts a long time, it's hard for praise to be continual. And in our prayer this morning, I particularly want to invite you that are here this morning that are in the midst of a struggle, that someone might pray for you, that your faith not only would not fail, but would be strong to get you through to the other side. So if you're here this morning, take advantage of the faith of another person and believe God that God will strengthen you as you face this thing tomorrow. We'll pray for anything this morning. Anything you need. You could be sick. You could have, your, your kids could be in trouble. It doesn't have to be about your life. It could be about anyone else. But you have a need for prayer. God can do something big in this altar. If you maybe should have answered the altar call earlier about getting right with God today, you can do that as well. But right now, we're going to have an opportunity for a God encounter in the place of prayer. We'd love to pray together. Once you stand to your feet. And as we just begin to worship, I want to invite you to just worship with us a song or two. And right now, our prayer team is coming to the front. And if I had been speaking to you this morning, come let somebody pray with you today. If you need to see God move, that your faith would stay strong, you come and let us pray this morning. God's here to meet with you. Come on, let us pray with you this morning. Take advantage of what God wants to do now. 